Hey, good morning, church family. Great to see those of you in person. Grateful for all of you joining us online. When there are weeks with so much uh, disruption and distraction, sometimes it's good for me just to go back to just think, like, what, what, is, what am I clear about? Like, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God, what are the things I know? And there are things I've just recited to myself and that I've prayed throughout the week. Like, when it comes to our God, our God is a God of life, not death. Our God is a God of peace, not war, of love, not hate, unity, not division. It's given me a lot of comfort this week in my prayer time to know that we pray to the same God that brothers and sisters in Christ pray to all over the world. That there's not a throne of God that hovers over the United States and a throne of God that hovers over Ukraine and another throne over Russia or a throne for white people or a throne for black people. Like we serve a God who is a God of all people, a God who is over the entire world and in and through all things. And to think this morning as we take the bread and we take the cup, there are brothers and sisters in Russia and brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine and all over the world who are taking the same bread and the same cup being reminded of the story that they have entered into. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans today. Romans chapter 6. This is some consider it to be like the greatest piece, one of the greatest pieces of literature ever. And throughout the Bible, it is one of the most carefully thought out doctrines of the gospel that you will find. It's a great book. Romans 5 through 8 are four of the best chapters you'll find in all the Bible. Most people believe Romans was written somewhere in the mid to late 50s, 50 AD, around 56 to 57 AD. We know that a decade after that, there was a fire that destroyed much of Rome, and we know that Christians were blamed for it, even though they weren't the ones who created the fire. There wasn't systematic persecution where they were trying to wipe out Christians, but there were Christians who died because of that fire, because of how they were blamed for the fire. And I wonder how the churches who continue to meet in times that that had to have been so hard, and I wonder for them if like 10 years after they had received this letter from Paul called Romans that maps out what it means to be people of faith and what it means to keep the faith. I wonder if there were moments when the church would meet and they would say, hey, you know what? We need to pull out that letter that Paul sent us a decade ago so that we can be reminded of the truth of the gospel, so we can be reminded of what we have been invited into and the story that we have signed on to and what our baptisms mean. Because I know there are Christians in Ukraine and Russia and other parts of the world today who are, who are sitting back saying, okay, my baptism means that I am pressing into hope And I'm a person of courage and bravery no matter what. So Paul writes Romans in a way to help people grow in their faith and in a way Paul writes Romans to help people keep the faith. Because there'll be moments in your life when you are growing in your faith and then there are moments, and some of you may be there right now, like you are just trying to keep the faith. And Paul writes to both. Back when I was a child, I say a child, I was uh, late elementary, early middle school, we moved to East Texas, my dad's first preaching job, and moving to a new town meant we had to make brand new friends. At the time, I collected baseball cards. Every year, my mom would buy me, my parents would buy me a Christmas, a brand new set of baseball cards, and I, I kept the Beckett, I went, to, I went to card shows, I would trade cards, and, and I had a Reggie Jackson card that looked something like this right here. It was, it was worth hundreds of dollars. Now, if you know anything about cards, you have personal cards, and you may not know who Reggie Jackson is at all. Hall of Famer, Mr. October. But then if you collect cards, you also know that there are team cards. So, uh, Texas Rangers or Atlanta Braves, there's just a team card. And these usually are not worth much money at all. I had a Reggie Jackson card worth hundreds of dollars. Now, I was trying to make new friends. And I had a friend who had a team card for the Minnesota Twins. 
And because I was trying to make new friends, he made me a trade that he would give me the team card and I would give him the, him the Reggie Jackson card. And because I was so desperate to have a friend, I did the trade. It was lopsided. It wasn't an even trade at all. I did it because I wanted friends. Now think about the trade between heaven and earth, between God and us. That here we are, sinful people, and God in all of his holiness chose to make a trade. That God would dispense grace upon people who were in desperate need of grace. And when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he's trying to help people understand the gift of grace. That grace has been given and grace is meant to be responded to. In Romans chapter 5, and I'm not even going to talk about Romans 5 this morning, but Romans 5, Paul talks a lot about grace and a lot about sin. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul opens up with a question. Like, here, here we are, these sinners. All right, so, so how does this work? Like, does God give more grace if we sin more? And I don't think Paul was asking this question for this question for people to go home and to like sit in their life groups or sit around as a family and like debate the question. I think he asked the question no, and like the answer is no, right? So don't live like this. Don't live like you're going to keep trying to manage your sin and just be grateful for the grace that God gives. God's going to give grace, but God gives grace so that you'll leave your life of sin. So in verse 2 and 3, what Paul does is he begins asking these questions in writing, like, how can, you keep, how can you keep sinning and living in sin when you know what Jesus has done for you? Like, how can you? Paul has such a high view of what Jesus has done for you, such a high view of what Jesus has done for the world, of what Jesus has accomplished. Paul has a high view of the confession people make to surrender their lives to Jesus. And Paul writes to people trying to teach them and trying to teach us a simple truth and a promise, which is this, that Jesus came to set you free from the penalty of sin. That is a promise and it's a gift. That the penalty that was due us, because of Jesus, we don't have to face the penalty anymore. Now what Paul also wants people to know, and many of us are still trying to grasp this, is that Jesus didn't just come to set us free from the penalty of sin, Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin. So he set us free from the penalty, and from the power that you don't have to live in its grasp anymore. You've been set free. So then Paul begins asking, like, don't you know? Like, don't you know? This is how our story goes. Don't you know that Jesus died and we have died with Christ? Don't you know? And this don't you know is Paul's way of like going into this whole new section in Romans 6 where Paul's going to remind people of who they are in God and call them and challenge them into a life. And the way Paul is going to do this is going to talk about baptism. He's going to remind people of their baptism. He's going to use baptism to help propel and launch people into their future with God. I remember the second week of January, 2020. So this is like kind of pre-COVID for most of us. Many of us in January of 2020, maybe you were starting to hear a little bit about, about the pandemic, but I don't think any of us thought that it was going to be something we'd be dealing with for years. The second Sunday of January, we had a woman who I got a call on Saturday that there was a woman who was going to be baptized the second Sunday of January 2020 right here in this church. She was a woman who had been going through Friends Speak at SOMA, the campus ministry at the University of Memphis. She was a foreign exchange student. She had been studying with Cheryl Ruddy. And part of Friends Speak is using the Gospel of Luke, reading it in English to help you understand English. So she was coming in contact with Jesus, and she begins uh, having affections for Christ decided to place her life in Christ's hands, decided to be baptized into Christ. And something I often do when I know people are thinking about baptism or they want to be baptized is I ask them to write out why do you want to be baptized and what does Jesus mean to you? 
Anytime I'm with people who are thinking about baptism, I ask them to do this. It could be a couple of sentences. It could be paragraphs. I want people to articulate why do they want to be baptized and what does Jesus mean to them. This isn't for a grade. It's not to see how well they do. It's that years later, I want them to be able to pull out a document where they articulated their faith and the decision that they made to join Christ in baptism. So this woman did that. She showed up at church that Sunday morning, and she asked if we could shut off the live stream during her baptism. Because she thought if her family were to see her surrendering her life to Christ, that she would be cut off from her family. This is a woman from Wuhan. So as she articulated her faith in Christ, that I read over the church before Cheryl Ruddy baptized her into Christ, what she said was something like this. She said, I have friends and relatives who are dying. And I think there's a pandemic that's going to take over the world. Now, for many of us at Sycamore View, it was one of the first times we probably heard or, or were next to someone who is being impacted by COVID. And she said, I have friends and family who are dying. And then she articulated her faith in Christ and her decision for baptism like this. If there is a pandemic that takes over the world and I die, I want to be right with Christ. And if there's a pandemic that takes over the world and I live, I want to live my life for Christ. And she was baptized into Jesus. And at the time, I don't think I, thought, I was putting a lot of thought into how that was laying a foundation for me to be reminded in the year 2020 when the pandemic took off that there was still a God who was at work in ways we can never imagine. Paul uses baptism to remind people of the story they've been called into and to launch them into their future. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, it's the retelling. It's the retelling of the story. And he's writing to baptize people. So this isn't Paul trying to articulate why people need to be baptized. He's reminding people of their story. And he says this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And then he begins using this word united in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will also certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And this word united that Paul uses multiple times, literally it means being associated in a related experience or growing along with or planted together or identify with. So Paul is almost using marriage language here. Like this is what Jesus has offered you and now Jesus is inviting you into this unity, into this united relationship where you are united with Christ, where we are united, we are planted, where we identify with Christ's death, we identify with the burial, we identify with new life. We are planted, associated in a related experience. And I want you to think just for a moment about moments and movements. For any movement in the history of the world is in need of moments, but life is not just about moments, it's also about like greater movements in a journey. So for example, it's called the civil rights movement, not the civil rights moment. But the civil rights movement was in need of some moments. It was a movement, but it needed some speeches, and it needed some nonviolent protests, and it needed courageous people like Ruby Bridges, uh, who, who were just courageous and brave in how they chose to go about life. 
It was all these moments that became part of a larger movement. I want you to think about relationships just for a moment. In relationships, though, it is about a journey and it's about a, a movement. Relationships need moments that mark them. So a lot of times relationships are, you remember like the moment you met and the moment you had your first date and the moment there was the first kiss and the moment of an engagement and the moment of a wedding. In a first service, I reminded people who have daughters that you would much, you prefer for it to be a moment they met and a moment that they had their first date and then engagement and then wedding and then a moment they had their first kiss, right? And Stoney Ramsey was back there and he's like, yeah, that's how it should be, right? We wait for, we wait for that kiss. You have these moments. And all these moments are a part of a greater journey. Now here's the thing, right? We live in a time today where it's hard for people to commit to anything, especially in relationships. And now there are times where we may date people forever. Or we care so much about uh, how, how we are uh, connecting to other people that you may date for a while and even move in together and try to have all the benefits of a relationship without there ever being a moment that marks your marriage. And their moments are, are so important to life, moments that are so important in relationships, moments that help form and shape and launch what it means to be a part of a lifelong movement. Now think about what this means for discipleship. For discipleship, there are people who, who kind of date Jesus and they're, they're wrestling with Jesus, but there need to be moments that mark us, moments of confession, moments of baptism, moments where there may be revelation of who God is, moments of growing our hearts. There are moments that remind us that we are part of a greater movement. Now, sometimes what can happen in churches is we can almost try to articulate the gospel where it's nothing but a spiritual moment. It's like the gospel is salvation moments. When the gospel Jesus came to live, salvation moments are a part of it, but you're invited into a movement. It's moments that remind you you're in this movement. There is this journey. So in Romans 6, Paul talks a lot about baptism. So for over six weeks, I've created a baptism video that we're about to show you. And the reason we wanted to do this in video form is that this is a video that just explains and tries to, to offer up just some information and inspiration about baptism and what baptism means. It's going to live on our website. So anyone who goes on our website can see Sycamore View Church. Here's how they articulate what it means to be people who surrender and try to respond to our baptisms for the rest of our lives, and that this can be a video that can be a gift to you. That when you're talking with friends who are trying to take steps closer to Jesus, this could be a video you could show them, you could offer to them to try to generate some conversations with you and family members, neighbors, relatives who are thinking about taking deeper steps to Jesus. So direct your eyes to the screen for just a few moments. I was walking in ancient Philippi when I came upon an early church baptistry. And as I was standing next to this baptistry, I could look out and I could see the marketplace and the pagan temples. Like this baptistry was like right in the hub of the city. And to think what that must have meant for early Christians who were being baptized and they could see and they could hear all of this noise around them. And I'm sure for them, they even thought in the moment, okay, it doesn't matter what kind of social pressure may come at me because of this decision or what physical persecution, like I'm going for Jesus. I am stepping into Jesus. I love some of the images in early Christianity when there were baptistries. 
that there would be an entrance and an exit. Like there was a way into the water, but then there was an exit out of the water. And this wasn't just logistics. It wasn't like, hey, we just have so many people, we have to have an entrance and an exit. For them, what they were saying was, if I am moving into the future with God, how I enter into the water, I'm not going back the same way I came in. Like, I'm not going back to that way of life. If there is new creation, I'm moving forward. I'm moving into the future with God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says that salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. So baptism doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. And there's nothing miraculous about the waters of baptism, but there is something miraculous in the moment of baptism. The baptism is a place of divine connection. And I think Jesus wants his church to have a high view of baptism because it is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus was baptized. He was baptized out of an act of obedience and he was baptized because he was launching a movement. It's like Jesus wanted people to know then and people to know now, like I have set an example for you that we step into the waters, we surrender ourselves to the will of God, and then we move forward into the future as a movement that can change the entire world. Jesus is serious about inviting people into the waters of baptism and inviting them out of the waters of baptism. Jesus invites people into the waters of baptism. And here's why. In Romans chapter 6, the way it's said there is that in baptism, we are united with Christ in his death and we are united with Christ in his life, like in his resurrection. It's, it's marriage language. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, I, have, I am saying yes to you. I am stepping into this relationship and I have accomplished everything that is needed for this relationship. I am saying yes to you. Will you say yes to me? Will you say yes to this relationship? Will you say yes to this commitment? Will you say yes to this mission? And in Romans 6, it also talks about how in baptism we are buried with Christ. So in this church and in many churches around the world for, for 2,000 years, we have practiced immersion. Like we go fully under the water. We are all in. And in doing this, what we are saying is we are surrendering everything we are to the will of God. Our bodies are going under the water. Our minds, the past, the future, like our intentions, our motives, like everything we are is fully surrendered to, to Jesus in baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the way it talks about it there is that in baptism, our hearts are cleansed and our conscience is cleansed because God wants people to live with confidence of their salvation and of their commitment to Jesus. So Jesus has a really high view of inviting people into the waters of baptism. So for those who are like taking steps to Jesus, but they haven't been baptized yet, what I, what I often ask them and what I would want to ask you is like, why would you not want to step into this gift? Why would you not want to step into this moment with Jesus? So Jesus invites people into the waters of baptism, but Jesus also invites people from the waters to go and live a life with purpose. Now, the way I've heard this said before is that the New Testament actually argues from baptism more than the New Testament argues for baptism. Now, in making that statement, it's actually elevating what baptism means. So to have a high view of baptism, you see that the New Testament is, is mostly written to baptize people. So a lot of those places like Romans 6 or 1 Corinthians 12 or Galatians 3, it's not arguments of why people need to be baptized. It's because you've been baptized, here's the kind of life you are called to live. Because you've been baptized, we love our neighbors and we love our enemies differently. Because we've been baptized, we unite with one another out of reverence for Jesus. Like we are the body of Christ. Because we have been baptized, we, we move into this mission. We live a life with purpose. So Jesus is the one who invites people into the water 
and he invites them out of the water to be a part of a movement that changes the world. In early Christianity, you could go through the catacombs, and even today, you can see all these images of art. Now, in early Christianity, most people, like everybody didn't have a Bible they could read, so there was preaching and there was teaching, and art was used to educate and to instruct. And these dozens of images of baptisms, there are two elements you'll find in all of them. Every single one that you find. One is the image of a dove that hovers over the person who is being baptized, representing the Holy Spirit descending upon the person being baptized. And the other is a hand that is over them, which represents the hand of God upon the person being baptized. And for early Christians, what they would teach is this, that what God did for Jesus in his baptism is what God does for you too that there is a promise of the forgiveness of sins, of being united with Christ and of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So when ancient Philippi think about it, you're being baptized where you can look out and you can see and you can hear all this immorality, knowing that there may be social pressure and even physical persecution that may come after you. So for them, the thought of baptism, like baptism may not be safe, baptism may be dangerous, and it wasn't just that their eyes could see everything in the city. It's that through baptism, God was helping people to re-envision what it meant to be a part of the city. That now you have a renewed purpose to live as new creation and to see that this city, the Philippi, that other cities, these are places where God has called the church and has called people to be the light of God everywhere we go. Baptism is not just about status change. It is invitation into a movement that can change the entire world. I'm grateful to Justin for his help in creating that video. I've been working on the content of that for weeks. We shot and recorded that video on Monday. This is before some of the other events that happened throughout the week. And that image of me, and I was there last summer when I was in Philippi, just standing right there by that baptistry overlooking a city. And now to think of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, in Russia, and Eastern Europe. I don't know what kind of baptistries they have, or if they're baptizing lakes and rivers or, or, or what, but I'm sure this week for people like Dima, like their baptisms, they just mean a little more. Like they're responding to life differently because of how they have connected and united with Christ. 
Romans 6 tells us we are united to and with Jesus. We're united with other sisters and brothers, and we are united for the sake of mission. My friend and the former dean of the Bible department at ACU, Abilene Christian University, Jack Reese, he said this, Baptism transforms our eyes so that we see one another differently. It transforms our hearts so that we reach out to others in compassion. It transforms our homes into centers of hospitality. It transforms our churches into sanctuaries of welcome. Restoring baptism to its place at the center of things, not only concerning whether we are saved, but how we live, we will be our greatest hope. Will be our greatest hope. Here in baptism, a broken people will meet a broken Christ. Here in the water of the resurrected Christ, it will make us his glorious people. Here among the baptized community, we will become a people of peace, and our churches will become safe places. Here, when we embrace fully our baptism, we will become a people of hope, a people of compassion, a people of mercy and holiness. Every movement needs moments, and moments invite us into the movement. And I want to invite you to take the bread and the cup in your hand right now, for this is a moment that we celebrate and we honor every Sunday when we come together. And this is a moment that retells the story that we are a part of that there is a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and this is our story. We retell this story. And as we take the bread and the cup, we are reminded of how we move forward from this moment to live out the movement in our lives this week. May Romans chapter 6, 9, and 11 guide our thoughts today at the table. And it says this, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Bow your heads. For Jesus, today we declare you are our greatest hope, our only hope. And for all you have done, all you have accomplished, to unite us to you, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please take the bread and cup.